Therefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is made, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell down in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, to lay hold of with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled unto all the fullness of God. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. In his day, there were no tape recorders, so he and his organist had to be at the station five evenings a week. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast, our study through Paul's prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians is now in Ephesians chapter 3. And Dr. Mitchell will be looking into Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 17. Paul prayed for the believers and faithful brethren, even from his imprisonment for the gospel. These were on his heart and mind. He cared for them. Let's ask God to put other believers in our hearts for their walk and life in Christ. Dr. Mitchell gives us the four dimensions of the purpose and grace of God found in verse 18. And then in verse 19, he desires that we may know the love of Christ, which extends far beyond all knowledge. Well, here's Dr. Mitchell as he speaks in detail, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Good day, friends. We again have the joy and the privilege of coming to you. And we're continuing our studies in the book of Ephesians. In fact, we hope to do Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, something that is called the prison epistles of Paul. And you remember in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of this book, where we read Paul mentioning himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. In chapter 4, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord when you begin to see something of the purpose of God being worked out and what the program of God is for his people. You can see the dignity of Paul when he said, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ, not the prisoner of the Romans. And when we come down to chapter 3, we come to the second prayer of Paul. You remember in the first chapter, it was a prayer for knowledge. In the second chapter, third chapter, pardon me, 
to pray for strength and for intimate fellowship. And in our last lesson, we were discussing Paul's worship and reverence in verses 14 and 15. In verse 16, his first request was for strength to be made powerfully strong by the Spirit of God in the inner man, a life energized by the Holy Spirit of God. And the place of action, you remember, was in the inner man. Now he's going to do this. The ground upon which Paul makes his plea is according to the riches of his glory. And you remember the riches of his glory proceed from the throne. This is our source of supply. This is for Christians in their present need. As Paul could say to the Philippian church, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And we were making the statement, uh, the riches of grace found in chapters 1 and 2 proceed from the cross. And in chapter 3, uh, the riches of glory proceed from the throne. One has to do with the fitting of sinners for the presence of God, the riches of his grace. And the second one has to do with our present need being supplied according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, the second request that Paul makes is in verse 17, when he said that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. I would like to put an extra word in there to give you the thought that Christ may dwell down in your heart by faith. Uh, he was dwelling in the hearts of these Ephesian believers. They were the saints of God. In fact, God dwells in the hearts of all believers. You remember in, in John chapter 14, verse 20, our Lord speaking of the Spirit of God who was with you, and he shall be in you. I will not leave you orphans. You dig in John chapter 17. He speaks again of this wonderful union about all believers being in Christ. Or as Romans 8 verse 9 says, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If so, be the Spirit of God dwell in you. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And in verse 11, verse 11 of the same chapter, if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also make alive your mortal bodies by his Spirit which dwelleth in you. Or you take Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul says, I no longer live. Remember how the verse starts? I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. You see, all believers are in Christ. That's our position before God. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then you have Christ in us. And this is the question of possession. He belongs to us. He, we are his purchased possession. We found this in the first chapter. Now, he's, what he's praying here is that Christ may dwell down in their hearts by faith. As I said a moment ago, all believers have the Lord living in them. Our bodies are the temples of the Spirit of God. But what he's really asking here for is that Christ may have complete freedom of our hearts. The fuller realization of, of the indwelling Savior. You see, the inner man is the, is the shrine of our emotions and, and personality. 
And Paul is praying not that the Lord would be a guest in our house. I remember someone time saying that it's as if we were in a house and this you had a, a somebody rooming with you. And the, you give the room or the run of the house until somebody comes along. The neighbor comes along and you say, would you mind going back to your room? This neighbor doesn't like you. Or if somebody else comes along the next day and you say, businessman comes along, now you better go upstairs and uh, to your room because this businessman has no time for you. And one could go on down the line. In other words, they're just a rumor. R-O-O-M-E-R. -E Instead of being a member of the household and having the run of the house, uh, we, we restrict his operation. Just like too many believers, we, we want to run our own lives. We want to run our own lives. Spiritual life is letting God run his life through us. Just that simple, and yet how difficult. Difficult because it's very, very hard for every one of us to get out of the way and let God do something in us. Oh, may we pray that the Lord Jesus will have absolutely full right in our hearts and in our lives. This is the place of blessing. This is the place of joy and peace and usefulness. When we try to run our own lives, we get ourselves into the ditch. We do things we shouldn't do. We say things we shouldn't say, and we hinder the very thing we want done. Oh, how often we hinder, we get in the way of God wanting to do what he wants to do. As I've so oftentimes said, many say they are servants of the Lord, but they want their own way. So I, I need to say any more about this. He prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. As I said a moment ago, and I repeat it, every believer, Christ is dwelling in their hearts. But do we give him the run of the house? Is he afraid to do what he wants to do in our lives? I say again, it's the fuller realization of the indwelling Savior. Oh, how often we live day after day and day after day and day after day, and very little thought is given to the fact that the Savior lives in us, in you and in me. I just, I just pray, and I'm talking to Mitchell as well as to you, when I think of this fact, it's so easy for our lives to be chock full of all kinds of things, good things, good things, but not for his glory. You know, I, I think that's what's in Paul's mind in Philippians 3 when he says, I count everything but loss, even the good things of life, if those good things will interfere with Christ Jesus having his own right of way in our lives. I've heard people pray, Lord, have right of way. Lord, you have right of way. And get off their knees and go out and do what they want to do. And the Lord doesn't get the chance to do what he wants to do. We don't give him half a chance. May the Lord grant to you and to me that yieldedness to him and to pray this prayer that Christ may have his own right of way in our lives. He may dwell down in our hearts by faith. Now the next thing is he prays, the third prayer, he prays to comprehend the measureless purpose and grace of God. Verses 17 to 19, I'm going to read that. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to lay hold of with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth 
knowledge. Let me just stop there. Now, here is an amazing passage of Scripture. First of all, he prays we might be rooted and grounded in love. Ah, love is the fundamental peace, fundamental grace. A love that made chapters 1, 2, and 3 possible. This wonderful, wonderful love of God to be made strong, to lay hold of what? The four dimensions of his purpose and grace. I want you to mark this, to be rooted and grounded in love. Now, I, I know there are other portions of Scripture where it speaks of this. You dig in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapters 3 and 4, you have quite a bit of this question of, of the love of God, not to be rooted and grounded in doctrine. Now, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm strong for doctrine. Maybe you know that by now. Uh, I'm a stickler for doctrine. I think we ought to be right in our doctrine. I think our minds ought to be clear in what we believe concerning the person of Christ according to the word of God. But for a person to be right in doctrine, have no love, defeats the very purpose for which you are on the earth. Our Lord could say in John 13, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, you have love, one for the other, to be rooted and grounded in love. Now, will you hold that in obeisance for a few moments? Just hold that in obeisance for a few moments. Because the next statement says that you might be able to comprehend, to lay hold of with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Now, he's not, I don't believe here he's talking about the length and breadth and height and depth of his love. I believe the love of God is measureless. We are to be rooted and grounded in love. But also, we ought to be able to lay hold of length, breadth, height, depth. What of? Well, he's been dealing in the chapter with the purposes of God in the church. You can't measure the love of God. It's boundless. Now, I, I'm going to do something. If, if you will just, if you just follow this through with me, will you? Now, the first one is that you might know the breadth. The breadth of what? I believe these are the four dimensions of his purpose and grace. The breadth of it. Chapter 2, verse 14. He hath made both one, Jew and Gentile. Chapter 2, 14. He is our peace who hath broken down the will of Paul and petition between us, and he's made us two in one. He's taken Jew and Gentile and made them one in Christ. Nobody's left out. It's broad enough. The purpose of God, the grace of God, is broad enough to take in any Jew and any Gentile. Nobody left out. It's broad enough to take in the whole human race if they were to come. Secondly, the length of his purpose and his grace. Take chapter 1, verse 4. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame before him. In chapter 2, verse 7, in the ages to come, he might show forth the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us by Christ Jesus. Notice the length of his purpose. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy before him. In the ages to come, 
He's going to show forth the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us by Christ Jesus. If God saw you before the foundation of the world and God sees you in the, in the ages to come, what in the world are we worrying about the next 24 hours for? No, we Christians are funny. We trust God with our eternal souls, but we'll not trust him for our care and keeping for the next 24 hours. We worry and we fret and we fuss. Is that not true? Ah, oh, Brother Mitchell, but you don't have the tests and trials that I have. That's true, maybe. And you haven't got the tests and trials that I have. Huh? You say you don't have any. <laughs> oh, brother, I'm still living on earth. I'm surrounded by a world that has no place for Christ. I'll tell you very bluntly, I found it much easier on some lines to walk before God when I ran a machine shop and when I worked in a machine shop or in the shipyards than preaching the gospel with God's people. No, friend, wherever you are, you're going to have tests and trials and afflictions and so on. It's to the common lot of the world. It's to the common lot of God's people. But if he sees me in past ages and sees me in the ages to come, my brother, my sister, then let us rejoice for the guarantee that we're going to see him face to face and be just like him. And that he's working out a purpose in you and in me even now. So you have the breadth of it, he takes in Jew and Gentile. The length of it, from eternity to eternity. Now the depth of it. Chapter 2, verse 1. You see, I'm sticking to Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 1. You hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And the grace of God and the purpose of God, he stooped, broke down, and picked up folk who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wonderful thing, is it not? Huh? But what about the height? Chapter 2, verse 6. And he raised us up together, and he made us sit together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. How high can you go? Right wherever Jesus Christ is, seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Again, I say, the, the love of Christ is immeasurable. But I love to think here in view of the context that he's looking back over these three chapters and he prays that we might know the purpose of God in its breadth, in its length, in its depth, in its height. In its breadth, it takes in Jews and Gentiles. In its length, it's from eternity to eternity. In its depth, he stooped down and picked us up when we were dead. You can't go any further down than that. And then he exalted us and joined us to the Savior, and he seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. How higher can you go? Then he adds to that in his request, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. A love that's beyond human ken. Most of us know very, very little about the love of God. We read about it, but for some reason it's never got a hold of us. And some people have an idea that God is kind of mamby-pamby. Listen, the very essence of the heart of God toward men is love. And the last revelation of God in the Bible is that God is love. That's 1 John chapter 4, 8 and 16. 
This immeasurable love of God. Can't measure it. You can't confine it. Say, you can't put walls around it. It's immeasurable. Listen. First John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love. You can't measure it. The Father hath bestowed upon us. John 13, 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them right clean through to the end. Can't measure it. Romans 5, 1. God, Romans 5, 8. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How far can he go? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You can't measure it. Jeremiah 31, 3. Behold, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. My friend, is baffles all thought and all description. Amazing, is it not? No wonder Paul could say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the 14th verse, the love of Christ overmasters me. The preceding verse, which I think gives you the connection when Paul says, if we be beside ourselves, and I take it there, beside himself with ecstasy, it's to God. If we're sober, it's for your cause. Why? Because the love of Christ overmasters me. Not my love for Christ, but Christ's love for me overmasters me. So he says in his third request that you might be rooted and grounded in love. Paul could say over and over again that you abound yet more and more in love one toward the other. And now that you might know the love of God which passeth all understanding. Friend, when you see his love for you, and then to realize something of the greatness of his purpose in the church, and in you in particular, that when God gets through with you, you're going to be just like his son, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You can't help but love those who love the Savior. It's a strange thing about us Christians. Some Christians love people of the world more than they love God's people. There's some wonderful, fine people in the world. Don't misunderstand me. And so we enjoy them more than some of God's frail, stumbling, weak Christians. Is that not true? You see, well, he's so ornery. I know, I know, brother. But you know, maybe he's ornery because other Christians don't love him. Well, I've tried to love him. I don't like him, but I love him. Now, let's not play with words. Go out of your way to do something for him. You might surprise him. You might surprise him. He may expect you to come along with a sarcastic, judging attitude. Instead of that, you come with a loving attitude, and he's going to be amazed. He expects the other. He's so frail. He's so weak. He stumbles. He's ornery. He's, he, I've met some of them. I've met some of them. And I wondered sometimes if they were really saved. But they could have been. I can't read their hearts. Oh, the tremendous, tremendous need. I'm not surprised that Paul prays that you might be rooted and grounded in love. Well, I love those who believe just the way I believe. Yeah? So you restrict the object of your love 
the Christians whom you like, people who believe like you believe. But the fellow down the street who has some doctrines you don't exactly like and you disagree with, you'll have nothing to do with him. I'm not talking about heretics. I'm talking about people who love the Savior. I'm always reminded that Lord Jesus Christ went into the Sabbath day and took the scroll and began to read. I'm quoting from Luke chapter 4, you remember, 16 to 18. And believe me, the, the, the people in the, in, the, in the synagogues were not very, very spiritual. When you think of the condition of the day, and yet the Lord, as was his custom, went into the synagogue to read the word of God before his people with all their frailty and all their weakness. Oh, that God would put in my heart and your heart a real love, not only for the Savior, but for his people. And the more I love the Savior, the more I will love his people. Hmm? Isn't that true? Now, may the Lord bless you today. Make his face to shine upon you. And may you abound in love one to the other so that his grace might be manifested in you and in me. The Lord bless you. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.